Welcome to a football show, Thursday edition, previewing your Labor Day weekend of college football in the SEC. Week number one is here. We've got a 53-man roster, sort of, 52, 54, 53-ish man roster for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, obviously, a lot of decisions that were made on Tuesday at 3 p.m. So a lot of stuff to get to today. Did the Tennessee Titans finally invest the right resources and solve the kicking problem as well? So we've got some we've got some movement over at St. Thomas Ascension Centennial Sportsplex Complex Vanderbilt University over there uh, where they where they practice. I'm sure it's like three competitors all in one one tagline. Zach Lyons. Braden Gall here. Jump into the comments. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any SEC football questions for week number one, please, please feel free to ask. Otherwise, we're going to talk a lot of Titans here at the beginning. Brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. Zach, what are you doing on Saturday with all your F-words buddies? What are you doing? I am going to Bluegrass Beverages, get there at 12, set up for a live show at 1230. Going to do a prediction episode with Stoney Keeley of Sobros Network. And uh, we're going to be eating some food, drinking some beer, and uh, hanging out over at Bluegrass Beverages at their parking lot celebrating their 50th anniversary. That sounds spectacular and very real, and many people are talking about it. So go to Bluegrass over the weekend. Again, uh, Saturday, noon, you and Stoney. Did I say tomorrow? Did I? Is that what no, I said? Saturday. Saturday. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I, my brain is, is, is warped right now because I'm so excited about college football. I'm so excited about a 53-man roster. I'm excited about investment in kicking. You know, that's the thing that gets me going and gets me up in the morning, Zach, is investing in kickers. That's what does it for me. So lots of stuff to discuss. Go to Bluegrass on Saturday. Hang out with Zach and Stoney. Check out the Sobros Network as well. All kinds of great stuff across that that platform. Football and other F-Words podcast as well. Again, Bluegrass, the sister store of Sinker's Beverages, 50th anniversary of serving the Hendersonville market. So if you want, if you're in the area, please go up and heckle Zach and uh, spam the comments uh, in front of Stoney's face with beer in your hand and with like maybe uh, some, some good food as well. Also, watch some college football while you're up there. So go check it out and celebrate the 50th anniversary of Bluegrass. Sinker's Beverages, of course, in East Nashville. Best place to go shop. Great bourbon allocation. Great beer fridge. Tons of wine. Great prices. Lots of selection. Lots of people that know what they're doing. They'll help you out. And again, you can search Uber Eats and have the booze delivered directly to your house. Zach they Lyons. drive so you can drink. There you go. Kingston Group, of course, buildkg.com. Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. The name and the title says it all. If you need any of those things in your life, just talk to the Kingston Group. Buildkg.com is the website. Uh, they will take care of you. I promise. I promise they'll take care of you. So, all right. I just want to start with a broad question about the Titans' decisions. We'll we'll, we'll get to Rand Carthon, Mike Vrabel, the, some of the specific players. But I, I just am curious, was this one of the more unpredictable cuts? Was it predictable? Was it different in any way? Was there a Rand Carthon fingerprint that you picked up on? What, what, what made this particular 53 different or interesting or unique from the last four or five, let's say, with Mike Vrabel? Yeah, I think it was entirely uh, different. It felt different. I mean, it was it was shocking, in in some regards. Um, I think we learned a lot about. It, it felt like with John Robinson, it took a while to learn what he was really all about, what he was really looking for, and it seems here, I'm at a point where it's like, okay we now know definitively know by actions 
that in constructing a 53-man roster, it was all John Robinson. Like, that's how drastic I feel the differences between this last, this last regime and this new regime. And we, we definitively know that Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon have a different philosophy when it comes to building a 53. Because typically, if you were a veteran, it didn't matter how good of a veteran you were. Typically, if you're a veteran and you knew your role, you knew your responsibility, and you just got to play. Once the ball was snapped, you were in spot X. didn't matter how slow you were or if you even made the tackle. If you got there, you were making the team. And this time, we're talking all the rookies made it. Maybe they're not deserving. Some of them are not deserving, but all the rookies made it. And there was like five UDFAs that also made it that were all rookie UDFAs. Yeah, That is the big key to me. And then you have, there's still some perplex, perplexing moves. Keeping Monty Rice and Naquan Jones when you had other viable candidates better than them on the roster. And not only that, they didn't even touch the inside linebacker spot in free agency, this new wave of free agency or claims. And again, it's a spot that is really needs some work. But other than that, I think you got a lot of insight that Dylan Radins who is practicing at right tackle today with the tight ends and was in team drills. The cut of Justin Murray, Mike talked about this too. And we, we talked about that on football of efforts. Week one is a possibility that Dylan Radins is your right tackle starting. No way. <laughs> yeah. It's a possibility. Now he's going to be starting at right tackle within this first six games. Bef yeah. Before MPF comes back is what you're saying. Yeah. But everything that they have done and said shows some confidence that Dylan Radins is going to be there and the right tackle sooner rather than later. And with a big gap between now and week one, there is a good chance that I think that Dylan Radins could be your week one. He's definitely going to be active. Maybe he's week two. But I think there is a good chance that Chris Hubbard's not that good. It's not that hard to beat out Chris Hubbard. Well, if they have that much confidence in Dylan Radins, I, what I love about professional sports and football is the most like clandestine about all this shit, right? They, they, they're all, it's all state secrets and it's the CIA and FBI combined over there. Every one of these SEC football is the same way. What I find interesting is that a lot of times things that we're kind of not guessing on, but trying to make educated hypothesis on why things are going a certain way. Like, okay, they brought in a bunch of guys at tackle to kind of work them out, but they didn't sign some of the names that we thought maybe made some sense. Well, they brought in Chris Hubbard, they signed him. And all along, you then have to kind of go back through all your analysis and say, well, clearly every step of this conversation, they were more confident in Dylan Radins than any of us on the outside were. And so if Radins actually has the ability to, I would say anything, any if he starts two games before MPF comes back, I would say that is a victory. So the fact that he could be available by week two or week three even, I think is a huge statement that personally I, and I'll just be accountable here on myself. I never expected Dylan Radins to be a starting part of this team for, I don't know. I'd say mid season ish would have been my, like, my most optimistic guess at the start of camp. And so I think this is, as we talked about the first time he was, he was out there. It's just a net positive. And clearly this was part of the plan all along that, that Dylan Radins was much, much closer to being a contributing member of the offensive line than we ever really, really imagined, honestly, or, or that we talked about ever. Yeah. I, I think 
I just I wouldn't rule it out the week one being a possibility at this point. It seems that for them to activate him off pup, count him as a roster spot, carry him, cut Justin Murray, who should have really been the starting right tackle anywhere, the incumbent starting right tackle uh, temporarily, uh, over Chris Hubbard. Um, and then to proceed, they, they went to try and make a claim for Nick Broker, which I think that is to replace Xavier Newman-Johnson, not to replace... He's, he is a guard center type of player, and I think that he was going to be going in that spot. But they they failed to do it, and I think they're comfortable with Dylan Radins being the right tackle, and I think they're trying to get him up to speed as quickly okay. as possible. And I think there's a good chance that that could happen. Depends on what all he did behind the scenes in the classroom, in training, and all that kind of stuff right. to be caught up with everybody. Uh, to me, I would be optimistic about all the stuff you just said that we don't kind of know about. Yeah. Because again, this was all part of their plan all along. Like right. clearly, every bar, every every one of their decisions was informed by the fact that they felt Dylan Radens was going to be a contributing member earlier than any of us did. Which I find fat. I just find the state secret part of sports just fascinating. So. I'd, already, I'd always talked about in the offseason, the early stages, that we have to kind of include Dylan Radens in this talk of who could start before the draft of who could start, who could play where in free agency. And then free agency came, and Dylan Raines gets pushed down. Then the draft comes, and Dylan Raines gets pushed down. Then everybody's kind of like, well, Mike Vrabel said, I think it was at minicamp. I wouldn't expect him to be back, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then you're just kind of like, okay, well, Dylan Raines obviously going to start on IR or right, some right. form of their of. And he didn't. And they're using a roster spot on him, and I think it's going to – they have some faith. They know something we do not know. <laughs> right, right. Right. I mean, it, whether yeah. they're right or they're wrong does not matter. They know something that we don't know. I I just think that I there's a good chance, and Mike brought it up, that if Raidens gets in fairly early in the season and he is playing at right tackle at a high rate, I know where you're going with this. <laughs> NPF may have lost his job because he couldn't keep his uh, fingers off his phone. Well, and this is what's hilarious. Like, again, going back to, like, I guess I'm, I don't mean to repeat myself here, but Chris Hubbard and, and uh, you know, all the free agents they brought in and Justin Murray and all these guys, like, they, in their minds, this was third string, not second mm -hmm. string. It was a third string tackle they were all fighting for. Not really second string because they kind of viewed Raidens and MPF as the two guys that are going to compete there the entire time. So uh, I want to go kind of position by position here. Look, listen, Kyle Phillips is on IR. Uh, that has some implications, of course. They went out and traded for a kicker. We'll get to that in a second. But I, I want to go kind of position by position and just sort of discuss some of the decisions. We're already on offensive line, so let's kind of just start there. We know Dillard, Hubbard, Raidens, Duncan makes the team. You mentioned how many rookies and UDFAs made the team. Younger, cheaper, faster, I believe is the the, the, the phrase that Rabel's been using. Uh, Brewer, Skoronsky, Brunskill, um, and then MPF, of course, doesn't count towards the roster. Murray originally made it. He's now off. It looks like Corey Levin is going to be possibly a part of this. Uh, and then uh, Newman as well. Like what? So I didn't expect to see him on the, the team either. So what do you make of the offensive line just in general backing off of Raidens? Man, um... It's just, I think, it, I I think it's like good it's they refreshing. trust Duncan. Yeah. Like, 
here here's my thing. Do they really trust Duncan or is just like that's the thing to me is like what has Duncan shown that the staff needs to trust him? That that's that's kind of where I'm at on a lot of this stuff is like this roster more than any roster that we've seen from the Tennessee Titans screams there's stuff you guys just don't know jack all about like that is what Vrabel and Carthon are telling us is that we just don't know jack shit about football and about what's going on inside that building on a daily basis and that preseason it's good for some things but it largely is meaningless to how we view what a certain player's upside is and we are going with upside this year I, I, I'm convinced that Mike Rabel and Rand Carthon are clearly keeping Caleb Murphy just to make sure you're wrong. That That's all it was, was just to make sure that, that Zach got that wrong. No, I, I agree. It's a lot of upside. It's a lot of guys that have, have potential. It's a lot of guys that are sort of malleable and need to be molded into professionals. Uh, I do think the offensive line depth is interesting. When you write Raiden's name in there, it just feels different, right? I, I There's only two ways to look at this. Either, like you say, there's a bunch of shit we just don't know. You either have to trust Rand and Mike that Duncan is qualified. Like they either are qualified to make the decisions or they're not. And if it's Mike Vrabel, who's making more of these decisions, then in Mike Vrabel, you have to trust as a fan and just say, look, Duncan did enough to earn his way onto the team legitimately. Yes. There's always some like roster manipulation that you're trying to do. Cause you don't want to lose a guy to this or vested veteran versus a rookie. Like there's some of that. That's kind of cheeky at the end of the roster. But for them to have eight or nine guys that we didn't necessarily expect to make the team kind of different it does show that they are looking at things a little differently. It and and we kind of have to just take Mike Vrabel for for his word at this point. Um, Tannehill, Levis, and Willis at quarterback, nothing to talk about there. Uh, Henry Spears and Chestnut at running back, nothing really to talk about there. Only three tight ends, I think, is interesting. Chig, Wesco, and Josh Wiley make the team. They do not go for a fourth or a fifth, which was a possibility. What did you make of just three tight ends? Uh, I think they went back to like their old ways that, uh, again, Malik Willis throwing shitty balls says nothing about Josh Wiley, the pass catcher. <laughs> and, and they obviously think that if Trevon Wesco were to go down or Chig were to go down, Josh Wiley can fit those spots no matter what. Okay. He can fit those. What this also tells me is that for six weeks, they're going to be working the the practice squad between Kevin Rader and Thomas Odukoye constantly. And I am I'm a little surprised, but the more I've been able to marinate on it, I'm not I shouldn't have been that surprised. But I really thought at least four was gonna make it. But I, agree, I think I the people that are hoping that this combined with seven wide receivers kept, which we know why seven wide receivers kept because one of them was going on IR and that's what they know. I think the people that are trying to turn this into, well, this ain't the same old Titans. They're going to be passing a, a hell of a whole lot more because look who they kept need to slow the roll. I don't <laughs> think there's any connection to that. And I think wasting questions on that at a press conference was, uh, I think silly. Um, quickly to AVing's question, should we be worried about Simmons and Landry not practicing yeah. today? So Jeffrey Simmons, yep. Arden Key, Harold Landry, Trey Avery, Jaden Peavy not practicing. If that's the case next Thursday, we can have a conversation about yeah. them not practicing. Yeah, there's no game this week. This this week, every, take it easy on everybody this week. I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, so DeAndre Hopkins, Traylon Burks, uh, Kyle Phillips, of course, made the team going to IR. 
Uh, Chris Moore, NWI, Colton Dowell, and Kiaris Jackson. You got Kiaris Jackson absolutely correct, so good call by you on that one. Uh, Reggie Roberson, of course, um, did not make the team, so I was dead wrong about that. I do – I've said this a long time. I think Burks – they want positionless football, and I think a guy like Burks can play in a two-tight end set if they want to get f- funky and creative. Like, we've talked about that, where Chig and – Burks have largely the same shape body. <laughs> like, gotcha. They they can they can kind of do some same stuff. So in theory, if you wanted to run twelve personnel with Burks as one of those two tight ends and motion him into the backfield and be fun with him, that's that's something they can do. Um, Kiaris Jackson and Dow again. I think Dow had a couple of nice practices late in camp. I'm I was surprised by him, not as surprised by Jackson physically. He is uh, looks the part when it comes to physicality and speed and explosiveness. So. Um, so I, I don't think it tells us a whole lot about the direction of the offense or what they're going to try to do, but I thought it was interesting that Dow and Jackson made the team. I mean, like guys, we, we have to remember that if two tight ends are mainly all that plays significant, meaningful snaps, you know what I'm saying? So them keeping three is not that big of a deal. Uh, and then, you know, seven wide receivers, Kyle Phillips is going to IR, which is what they knew. We did not know that for sure. And then keeping six then, well, one of them's your punt returner, and one of them's a guy that's just probably maybe not even going to be active on game days. You know what I'm right. saying? Like at this point, we you got to remember that your four, your top four wide receivers are now Chris Moore, who's likely your slot guy, Nick Westbrook Kine, who's the first on guy, and then Traylon Burks and DeAndre Hopkins and Colton Dow may play like the Cody Hollister role where he's like in for like 12 snaps a game or something right, like that. Right. Maybe not even that. So I wouldn't expect Kiaris Jackson to see a lot of offensive snaps. I think that his, his role and value is returner. And I think that's what, that's what, how he got on the roster, why he's on the roster. I, yeah. I hate it for Reggie Roberson. The dream is dead. He has turned down, according to the way that it's worded, he turned down the practice squad offer. So it's officially dead in Tennessee. Ah, it's a bummer. Uh, Festlove says, I disagree with the take on Wiley. Preseason showed he's a turnover machine. Number no, one, Millie hang on. turnover machine. His fumble is the only one that's on him. The fumble mm-hmm. is the only one that's on him. And that's just and- a really good defensive play that most no. people are going to turn. When you turn around and you are hit square where you have the ball, that nine times out of ten, someone that you're getting fumbled. Also, I want to say the first quarter of his first ever preseason game as an NFL player. <laughs> like yeah. you're gonna make you're gonna make mistakes when you are that new. I also want to point out to your point about the receiving core, people are what people are talking about. It is it goes without saying, but I think it's worth reiterating that if you're talking about Chris Moore as a number, let's just say a number three, because Phillips is on IR and NWI is a number four. Really, those are actually number five and six pass catchers in the offense mm-hmm. because Tajay Spears and Chica Conquo are going to be targets of the, of more options and more play calls and more play designs than Chris Moore or NWI ever will be. So just make sure there's always a, you always have to add Spears into this conversation about the offense, throwing the football to how many pass catchers are there. Tajay Spears is going to, is going to play a big role in that. And we know Chig is obviously uh, most tight ends are, are in that top two or three, but Spears is one to keep in mind, and that doesn't include Derrick Henry at all in the screen game, which we know he's he likes to, yep. to be a part of. Um, okay, on defense, uh, Simmons, Tart, Autry, PV, Naquan Jones. You said Naquan was the, kind of the surprise there. He's the name I've got underlined as well as a bit of a surprise. 
Key, Landry, Weaver, and Caleb Murphy on the edge. So the defensive line, the front line, we'll get to linebackers in a second, but uh, big, any, I mean, Murphy, I think is just the amount of production at, in college, 25 plus sacks, like in a season, like he just, I think Vrabel sees the raw upside and pure explosive pass rush ability and said, we can teach him all the other shit, but that's what he's got is different. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I worry, I know that I guess you don't worry and I know that I guess Mike doesn't worry, but when he's playing up against, you know, first stringers, likely, is he still going to be that guy? You know, that that's that's the question in the back of my head. I have never been happier to be more wrong that Caleb Mur- that Caleb Murphy is going to make this team because I am I'm ecstatic because I like Kevin Mur- Caleb Murphy's upside and I love everything about it and I would it would be great if he turned into Shaq Barrett or Cameron Wake or UDFA of that ilk. It's not likely, but if anybody could do it, Mike Vrabel could. And, um, especially that position, you know, it's community college, a couple of years of community college, and then he's going up against fourth stringers in the fourth quarter, third stringers. I just hope it translates, right? Because if it doesn't translate, I don't want to hear everybody saying that it's anybody's fault other than he's just that player. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not the staff's fault. It's not, you know, it's not really his fault. It's not a lack of effort. It's just that he may just have that kind of ceiling, where he's a preseason guy. I am rooting, though, right. and hoping for the the other, but there is also a reason they brought in Travis Gibson yep. as well, who is going to be ahead of Caleb Murphy. And Mike thinks he may be, and I tend to agree, he may be ahead of Rashad Weaver. Yeah, seven sacks a couple of years ago when they were running a 3-4. He got lost kind of on the depth chart when the Bears switched systems. Kevin Gibson uh, GIP S O N of course. I, yeah, I did not mention him. I should have mentioned him. Also, Danico Autry can slide out and play OLB uncertain situations and passing downs as well. So I don't think that we're asking Caleb Murphy to play a whole lot of snaps this year. And to me, this is like when you're drafting in a fantasy draft and you're down in like the last third of the draft and you're looking at receivers and running backs that are going to be your, you know, your fifth or sixth guy. It's like, do you take the player with talent and upside or do you take the guy you think has like a guaranteed role, but probably won't deliver a whole lot? Well, in fantasy, you still got to almost... find a role for him, though, right? Because special teams, no, I know. Not, he can't be active. He can't be one of the 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 forty active, the four whatever the other like forty three or forty six or something yeah. like that. Whatever it is, not every he he can't be active and not play a role, and it's going to be even harder for him to be active with Travis Gibson there. And you got to remember Travis Gibson, Danico Autry, Rashad Weaver. Those are all guys that take up spots before Caleb Murphy right, right. on the field. So I am i don't know what the plan is, but I do know that they're going to try and coach him in a special teams. Hopefully that means that they've hired a special teams coach. <laughs> well, they've, they've uh, traded for a kicker. So we'll get to that in just a second again. Um, remember our great sponsors, Sinkers and Kingster Group. We'll tell you guys more about that this, uh, coming up. Kevin says, speaking of fantasy, yes, the fantasy draft right now online next Wednesday. If ever, if, if we want to try to get together, please respond to the email. I emailed all of you guys, okay? You guys are all great loyal listeners. We do appreciate you. Uh, I have to remember who actually won the, the league last year. Uh, we'll have to go back and, and double check. Uh, but I, just, much like the positionless football and offense, which is easier to see, I think, because you think of you know, tight ends running the ball and running backs catching the ball and receivers lining up, motioning into the backfield. 
it, again, Autry can go back and forth in the position group. I think in the secondary, there's a lot of guys that they want to play back and forth. And I mean, Molden is the prime example. Um, middle linebacker is not that it's not that way. Middle linebacker is sort of just middle linebacker. Al Shair, Gibbons, Gifford, Rice, and Reese made the team. I think Reese had a very active preseason, but obviously with no, Rice, I mean he had an active practice sessions, I guess, and and he was film study. He was not he was not very active in preseason. Uh, I think. Games. Sorry, I'm I'm talking camp practice. Um, yeah. but so they keep Gibbons and Gifford, but not Campbell. Uh, they keep Rice, but not Campbell. They keep Reese, but not Campbell. Now Campbell's on the practice squad. Um, five middle linebackers. I think my takeaway is that they don't, they're, they're, they're casting. It's the wide net strategy here. Like, let's see if we can put as many, as many guys out and to, to see who, which, which cream rises, I, I think is maybe they're, they're trying, what they're trying to figure out here. Cause it, other than Al Shair, I, I don't know how many true starting dependable middle linebackers they have in that group. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little, surprised by how they've handled that whole group. I mean, Monty Rice has got like, he's lying to the media apparently because he was injured, but he's telling everybody is like God and family and he's not injured, but he was injured according to Mike Vrabel. So someone's lying on this and I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know who to really side with because Vrabel has known to be a little bit of a, a truth shader, a cheeky, uh, a cheeky he's a, bastard. He's a cheeky guy. <laughs> the Otis Reese thing, everybody's like, well, I'm surprised you, why are you so surprised that Otis Reese made it? He had three tackles in the preseason. Like I get that, you know, Mike Vrabel likes him and he's talked about him maybe like three times. He, and that's the thing to me is everybody's acting like every press conference, Mike Vrabel goes out of his way to talk about Otis Reese but he's mentioned him like three times and I'm just like, I'm looking at the stats and I'm like, I know that's not a good way to do it, but it, you know, the reason I have to look at the stats, cause I don't remember him doing anything in the game. So like, you know, the stats match up with what I saw. And we're talking about a guy who has three tackles over, uh, you know, 61 snaps. That's not good for a linebacker. That doesn't make sense <laughs> for a linebacker. And that's, if he was like an, if he was like a safety or an edge rusher, you know, maybe that's a little bit different. That doesn't make sense for this. And for him to get it over chance Campbell and chance to me, chance Campbell was your third linebacker. I, I, it wasn't a good third linebacker, right? But he's, I think he's better than Monty rice and better than Otis Reese. And he's, and if you want to argue that Monty rice has got the tangibles, but not the intangibles, but he's got the tangibles that you're looking for at a linebacker. That's fine. I'm not going to really put up too much of a fight. We've just seen what Monty Rice is. We know what he is. But Chance Campbell's definitely better than Otis Reese. And I don't don't understand this at all. And I don't understand why there's been a lack of activity or effort since the cuts of, from the rest of the uh, league have happened. I, I will say, you noticed 41 often in, in practice. Like I'm not suggesting that he was some star yeah. or whatever. Like he, I'm not He's saying one of the he, main guys that lets me know that what you see in preseason – isn't as important to the team as right. for right. every player. Like every player is judged differently in the preseason by this staff. Yes. And, and I think all the work you do on the drive on the race board and the, in the meeting room, watching film and on the practice field, like he, he, he showed up a lot more in practice than he did in games for sure. Like he was kind of, you kind of always were like, Oh, wait a second. You're checking your sheet in the first couple of weeks. Oh, who's 41. Like you're checking your sheet. Uh, you get your roster and you're looking at it. 
But again, um, gotta gotta do that in the game. Yeah, no, I agree. You know? Absolutely. Uh Fulton, uh Murphy Bunting, McCreary, Avery, Anthony Kendall makes the roster. Kevin Byard, Amani Hooker, Amani Hooker, Elijah Molden, Mike Brown, and Matthew Jackson. I am not sure, Zach, that at any point during practice, I took a note about Matthew Jackson. Maybe that's my fault. Yeah, I think only people ever talked about Matthew Jackson in in regards to being a gunner in the preseason games. And um, Anthony Kendall, a lot of people were high on him. I thought that Garer was going to make it over Anthony Kendall, but like I had Anthony, I went back and forth through my fifty three between ah, is it Kendall or is there going to be Garer? What's what's going to be the return? Is the returning ability going to be more important, or is the special teams coverage going to be more right. important? And they went special teams coverage and he can also play on the outside. And, you know, that I think that's where they're most concerned about their depth. And that's why Vildor got um, signed is because they're more concerned about their outside corner depth than they are their interior. They have a slew of players that could play the interior. They have very few that can play exclusively outside. So I think that's why Anthony Kendall got the edge. Very surprised by Matthew Jackson. Again, I guess this is their weird way of saying that we do care about special teams, but we only <laughs> care about like one positional special teams, and that's Gunner. Yeah. That's the only position they really truly care about. Yeah, it was interesting, and then we'll get to the kicker here in a second. I, I think to your your first point about what what does this fifty three teach us about Rand Carthon? meaning that it's it's fairly young they're willing to take risks on upside they're willing to develop their guys and trust able to coach them up like i think those are all accurate and and valid points i think it also speaks to the fact that they just they just don't have the same i know we've been talking about this all summer i just don't think they have the same depth as as we've seen past titans teams at certain positions maybe that's a fault that john robinson had that he was willing to hold on to a veteran for longer but it doesn't seem like like some of these guys I, I'm actually very bullish on. Like, I know you like Anthony Kendall. I like Reese. We both like Murphy. I, I, we're both interested in Jackson for a lot of different reasons. Like, so there's, it's all logical. You can see it, but it definitely is like most teams aren't, aren't making nine or 10 moves where everyone who studies the team is like surprised by it on cut down day. That that's sort of a new thing. Like normally there might be three or four surprises on most teams having eight or nine or 10 guys that we sort of don't anticipate. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a big chunk of your roster that we didn't think was going to be there, which to me screams depth question. So do you, do you think, see, I look at it from, Oh man, you know, Mike's really bullish on the defensive back. He's like me. He thinks the defensive back depth is a lot better than what everybody initially thought. I'm with you on that. I'm, I'm I, that. I also think that the offensive line depth with the addition of Raiden's is better not great, but better. Okay. Like if one guy goes down, you don't have to switch around the other four guys. You have the depth in place that one guy can come in and work that one spot. I don't know if this is a if this is a a question about depth or concern about depth that this many guys made it. But Mike Vrabel's always been a guy that says if you earn a spot, everybody has to earn their spot. Yep. And it may not have been earned because of preseason performance, but it was earned in other ways. All these guys have earned their spot. Now, that could be a good thing. 
that they feel that these guys have are still they have an upward trajectory and they can work a lot with them or it could be a bad thing that says something about the veterans that they beat out just right. weren't good enough and we're not and they didn't bring in real iron sharpens iron iron yeah. competition however i would dispute that with guys that made the practice squad which is a very good looking practice squad that it we is. thought we, that we thought could possibly we thought hey Never know. Trayshawn Harrison could make this team if he has a good showing week three. Michael Dwumford, Kyle Peckle, I thought for sure we're making this team. Jordan Roos, a lot of people had him. And Rupsich, both making the final 53. Thomas Odekoya, Kevin Rader. There's good Eric Guerra. I mean, there's good yeah, players yeah. there. These players were just slightly better to, con to make up the right yeah. 53. And, and to your point, we're not going to know definitively probably for weeks into the season if some of these guys were the right decisions or not as far as what they is it because they're so good they earn their spot or is it because there's lack of depth that that's the the age-old question for everybody that makes a roster at the end of the thing and and stoney says this in the comments he says i wouldn't be surprised if mike brown or matthew jackson get some reps at linebacker and i wonder if they think reese can play safety but campbell cannot positionless football and i will say this it's not as much about like the the specific guy that can do the thing that's up for Vrabel to the side and, and Shane Bowen like this guy, but do you want safeties who can play in the box because the game is going more pass heavy? Yes. Do you want linebackers who play middle linebacker who can also drop into coverage as two just general philosophies about football in 2023? Yes. Yes. You want both of those that you have to have safeties that can play up in the box around the line of scrimmage. And you got to have linebackers who can play in space like that. Those are two things you kind of have to have. And so maybe that's, informing some of the decisions they made uh, let about, me say this, this about brown and reese gonna be, this is gonna be great i mean i, I, I love I'm, the secondary i like the secondary I mean, a lot i mean the pass rush is is fierce i mean the everything but inside linebacker is great but yep. and i think the corners and the and the defensive line and pass rush can cover up the deficiencies at linebacker i mean in old football days you'd have three linebackers a strong a middle and a weak who largely were kind of the same guy well your strong might be a bit of a thumper your middle's more cerebral and your weak is the speedy guy who tracks down the ball right like but but basically they were all kind of the same guy in modern football you have two of them and they largely have to be able to be interchangeable and play in space so it, it, it's just it just is what it is i think the second i think the defense is very good as well I still have questions about middle linebacker and offensive line. Those are my my two questions. But guess what? Those are my two questions when pra practice started, you know, six weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the kicking situation in college football, Sinkers Beverages, the Kingston Group. Kingston Group, of course, is, is owned by a former football player here in Nashville who has lived here most of his entire life. I think he was born just outside the city. He played co college football in the SEC and has been running this business for over a decade in Nashville, taking care of his clients. So the bottom line is they want to take care of you. So it doesn't matter if you use them. It doesn't matter if you go a different direction. They are going to help you solve a problem that you have with your house. So if that is a renovation or a kitchen or a bonus room or a pool house or a driveway or whatever it may be, just talk to the Kingston group, see if they can help, see if they can help you with your problem. If not, they'll make sure you get help in the right spots. That, that's how they do it. Uh, so make sure you check them out. Buildkg.com. Sinkers Beverages, of course, in East Nashville. Nashville's number one liquor store champion in 2022, as per the Nashville scene, trying to repeat. So go vote Nashville scene. Best of. Make sure you go vote Today's for the deadline. 
today's the deadline. And if you'd like to vote for, you know, podcast or, you know, any of that other stuff, feel free. And I'm not going to hate you if you write some names in. Um, but make sure you search Uber Eats, Sinker's Beverages. They'll deliver the booze directly to your house. They'll drive so you can drink. Do you think I could get them to Uber some booze to Nissan Stadium on Saturday morning? What do you think? Well, according to uh, RG News on Twitter, uh, God, they're thinking stop. about moving that game. Stop amplifying that troll. Um, it's such and, a good troll, though. Because like, cause you forget about him if you don't follow him, and then it pops up on your timeline. You're like, oh. That's the, best, the best conspiracy theories are the ones that play into what you your preconceived notions. Yeah. <laughs> what, you, what you think might be possible is already kind of a joke. Those are the best conspiracy theories. Uh, and then, of course... Sinker's Beverage's sister location up in Hendersonville, Bluegrass, celebrating its 50th anniversary this Saturday with Stoney Keeley and Zach Lyons. What are you guys doing on uh, Saturday, my man? We are going to be live doing a prediction show. We're going to give you uh, some over-unders and talk about uh, some the Titan season. Give you and watch some football, drink some beer, have some food. Do you have Do you have any of those over-unders set for DeAndre Hopkins yet? Like no, any, but any I, I will say. I'd like to. I'd like to know. It's not Saturday. I do all of my stuff last minute. Oh, I can't wait to tune in for the DeAndre Hopkins conversation. I'm going under on receptions and yards. Whatever you put it at. Okay. <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going under. Right, I'm gonna. I might go. I might go over. Set touchdown. it at twenty. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna make you go under. Don't do that to me. Uh, all right. So they trade a seventh round pick in 2025 for Nick Folk. Now Nick Folk is 38 years old. He'll be 39 in November. Uh, he, I wrote down some numbers here, so I'll, I'll get these out. Cause I want to see if, if you, num, number one, thank you for investing some resources in trying to solve the problem in a larger way than just trying to do it off the street. I, I do appreciate that. Now it may not work, but at least you tried. And I, I respect that part of it. Effort is still key here. All right. Three, the last three years for Nick Folk, he was 26 of 28 on field goals. Three years ago, he missed two times. He was 36 of 39, two years ago, missed three times. He was 32 of 37 last year. He missed five field goals. That is more. That is sorry. That is fewer missed field goals the last three seasons than missed extra points. Just want to point that out. He was uh, he missed three, five, and three over the last three years. But I think here's my favorite stat so far that I found on Folk. Just looking at his just plain regular numbers here. 40 to 49 yard field goals. 11 of 12. 11 of 11. 10 of 14. That is 32 of 37 in the 40-yard to 49-yard range. Pretty good. In 50-plus over the last three years, 11 of 16. Also pretty good. He is 43 of 53 from 40 and beyond the last three seasons. I know he's old, but that's a pretty good hit rate from beyond the 40-yard mark, in my opinion. So the, the Titans are are had put themselves in this position to have to spend a draft pick in 2025 towards this. Now, kickers play for a very very long time. They play well into their 40s. Uh, I mean, I think David Akers may have been like 52 or something when he retired. I mean, that guy was old 52. when he retired. I don't think he was 52, uh, but uh, like I mean, he was at least uh, most of these guys are like 45, 46. Yeah. You know, they yeah. they go for a while. Um, they're, they're sacrificing touchbacks and kickoff yardage for field goal yardage. And I think I'm okay with that. I think that's the way they need to be going because that's what they need. Because in the right. end, 
I know Vrabel says they're not going to have a kickoff specialist and blah, 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 blah. Eventually, Cade York's going to be the kickoff specialist. Now, whether he's the full-time guy or not, unlikely. But Cade York's going to be – they're Nick Folk is going to force their hand to put in Cade York. But you're getting the benefit of something that you don't have is, a, is, the, is the ability to have the option to kick from beyond 48 yards. You didn't have that with Randy Bullock. And I will say this about his age. I, for stackinginbox.com, I have been putting together some kicking data to kind of, you know, show age, show clutch kickers, and show um, uh, kickoffs and the effect it has on age. Uh, the kickoff data is, like, freaking messy. I don't know if I'll be able to finish it without killing someone. But <laughs> I got 69 kickers that have that played back-to-back -back seasons from the ages of 22 to 41. Nice. 571 individual seasons from these kickers, okay? At age 38, your extra point percentage is, it is the sixth highest out of 20 age ranges, right? So 20 ages, so 20 years from, 20, 20, from uh, 22 to uh, 41. So that's 20 different ages, okay? So it's the sixth highest at age 38, extra point percentage. So most accurate. So sixth most accurate age yes. is 38. 38. I think I'm going to kill you too. <laughs> Go huh? ahead. Go, keep going. Keep going. Guess what is the number one in field goal percentage? 38. No fucking way. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So... Uh, in total points scored, well, let's just, we'll go to points per game. That's probably a better metric than total points. So points per game that the kicker is kicked, they are six, 38 years old is six in points per game. <laughs> Average kick distance, which would, be, they are seventh. So their field goal average for 38 year olds, their distance to kick the field goal is 37.5 yards. That is what the, the, that's what they've the average kicks of what they've made or missed is 37.5. But here's the interesting thing. EPA expected points added by kickers. Second highest is 38. And they they do 0 0.13. So their kicks or their time on the field generate an expected 13% rate of expected points added. The 29 is the best, and that's 0 0.16. And there's only 11 of these numbers that are positive. So 11 of these age groups are positive. So this is by far, 38 is still good for a field goal kicker. Yeah, yeah. Now, when data. Get to the data yeah. for kickoffs, oh. I'm going to be fairly certain that 38 is not going to be great. Well, but let me that's ask okay you. okay because they have Kate York on the practice squad. Let, let me ask you this. What happens to 39-year-olds? Does the data change? 39-year-olds. Because, because, uh, November, because November 5th hits and he turns 39 well, this, right, this right in the middle of the season. Though, <laughs> uh, so, so here's the thing. This data is for is off pro football reference. So when the season starts is what the age is. Uh, okay, I got you. Okay, so got you. that's how pro football reference does it. Okay. So he's fine. 
in age 38 season or whatever. Yeah. I yeah. got you. I got you. Okay. Cause I was like, that's all really great and actually genuinely interesting research you did that only lasts for the first half of the season. <laughs> no, it's all pro football references. Their age is whatever it is yep. at the start yep. of his football yep. season has how old they are. So happy birthday. Uh, happy 39 to Nick folk. I, I really don't like talking about kickers who are younger than me. That's I just realized that that's bothering me now. <laughs> well, if, if it, we talked guy. about this on the uh, football and other F words, um, he looks like he's 55. He looks as old as he's looked like he was probably one of the first uh, patrons of bluegrass beverages 50 years yeah. ago. That's what yeah. he looks like. And he's our age. Of course, you're you're one year older or two years older. Two years uh, older. But uh, he's me and Mike's age. Yeah. Yeah, and single he bar looks way older. Single bar on the face mask in, yeah. when he, when his, in his rookie year. Yeah. Um, okay, so either way, the the point is, is we complained a lot. I think I did from the very first practice all the way up through. Like, what? Why aren't you investing? Why aren't you investing? Well, you're right. They put them themselves in the situation to have to invest. But a seventh round pick again is the thing you're supposed to use to, to get a kicker. So I'm okay with a 2025. Seventh round pick. If Nick Folk gives you good quality field goal kicking for two years, it it's uh, it's a million percent worth it. So I, just, I, th- I think you're only hoping for shit. one year of one year's fine field goal kicking because I think the way that Rand Carthon talked at the press conference is that I don't know who these people are responsible for it, but he says that they have people to help Cade York from the neck up and the neck down. And I hope Craig Ackerman is not either one of those guys. <laughs> uh, all right. Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group, our proud sponsors. Make sure you check out Stacking the Inbox, as well as Football and Other Efforts, all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network. But if you're talking SEC football, SEC Football Live on the YouTube page, of course, every single Tuesday at noon Central Standard God's Time. If you want to talk more SEC football, myself and Michael Bratton are live uh, across all the platforms, much like this show, but just all SEC football. So check us out on Tuesdays. Uh, do appreciate you guys supporting us. Um, what I mean, there's a lot. There's three major games. One of them's Thursday night, so we we can kind of quickly touch on Florida and Utah and move on fast. But I would like to ask you personally first, because I think you said your major prediction was that Tennessee was going to win the East last year, that Georgia was not going to win the division. Mm-hmm. You did get a you did shoehorn your way into claiming the Alabama victory. Um, mm-hmm because they had a hell, hell of a season, but do you have anything that will, you know, like make me all pissy? Do you have any predictions that are going to offend my, my delicate college sensibilities? I, I don't, I think Jaden Daniels is going to, is going to be the reason why LSU doesn't make the college football playoffs. I don't know if that's spicy or anything. I mean, I think it's interesting. But I I do not believe in this Jaden Daniels hype train that has came from to me out of nowhere based on what we saw last year, um, because I didn't see a, a capable college quarterback last year play football. Um, and no, I, he's, I, he's way better than capable, but elite. I, I mean, championship. I don't know. Yeah, I I just don't think I don't think he can. I think if you sh- if you shut down their wide receivers, you you've got the game won. Like I don't think he's he's scary with his legs. I don't think he's he can make plays with his arms and get people throw people open. I just don't think he's that good. And I know a lot of people do, but I'm here's my spicy. I guess my a spicier take. Arkansas at the end of the year is going to be at least a top fifteen college football team. 
No, that's interesting. I like that. I don't think that the Daniels take is that spicy, honestly. Like, I think he is a very, very, very good college quarterback. I just know people are very hype on LSU, but I, I can't, I can't get on that train with Jaden Daniels as their quarterback. He, he's number two in the gambling odds to win the Heisman. That and is I, a. I bad, think, I think Vegas bet. is definitely taking that, a lot of people's that's, money. That's a bad bet. I completely yeah. agree. I think he's a very good quarterback. He protects the football, doesn't turn it over. He was the leading rusher last year, almost ran for a thousand yards, and and they did win the division which gives you some instant hype, but Brian Kelly was asking him to make more throws. So I, I, I think your assessment is not all that off to say that Jaden Daniels is a really good player, but I don't think he elevates his entire team to championship status. And I think that is a fair, I actually would agree with that. I have Alabama winning the West. I agree with Stoney and the Sobros network. I believe Florida state wins the game on Sunday night outright. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll take the Knowles to win. They also LSU is not playing with its best defensive lineman, Mason Smith, they also don't have their starting tailback, John Emery, as well. I think Florida State is going to open some eyes on Sunday evening. And it's not anti-LSU. It's pro-Florida State. Right. Because, I, I mean, it seems like everybody in the college football world that watches and analyzes a sport for a living is has been warning and telling us that Florida State's going to be a lot better and going to be pretty damn fucking good. Like, I mean, we're talking, like, really good. I have them number two. offseason long. I have him number two in the, in my my playoff rankings. Yeah, I I tonight if for for anybody that's gambling, I've taken uh, UConn just to cover fourteen and a half points against uh, the State. Sneaky. If I win that bet, that, <laughs> a lot of that money is going on Florida State. <laughs> uh, so Florida Utah is really interesting. It, uh, like I actually got Utah minus the four and a half. So if you're listening to this on Friday and they've one by more or less, I'm sorry, or th- you're welcome. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that point spread has gone from 10, 11 down to like four and a half, like gone up and down in between. Cause they don't know who the quarterback's going to be. It's all house money for Florida. It's totally, you know, if they play, I can actually do this. Like it's already happened. If they somehow pull off the win, it is complete house money. They're ahead of schedule. Gators fans are excited. Let's roll. The weaponry around Graham Mertz was good enough and their defense showed improvement. That's, that's how they'll win the game. Um, if they lose, they will have lost to a second or third string quarterback on the road against a really, really good two time defending Pac-12 champion. That's one of the best defenses in the country. I don't think there's a whole lot of shame in that. So I think they kind of are playing with with house money. I think the one that matters the most in the conference, I think the the single person that is carrying the most pressure of anybody in week one in, in SEC is Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler at, at South Carolina. Going to North Carolina, Drake May, uh, the uh, possible number one overall draft pick, going up against what was supposed to be a number one overall draft pick. That's and they're they're competing states. They hate each other. Rivalry, um, yeah, rivalry. I mean, this is that's a very sneaky good opening week one it's game great. off the slate of games because there's a well, lot of shit in no, the no, SEC a, week one. <laughs> it is it is the prime time seven thirty Eastern six thirty Central kickoff. It's the game that the whole country is watching on on Saturday night. Well, because, the whole the whole country. Oh, sorry, I was looking. No, at, Florida no, State. Yeah, Clem, right. Florida State's on Sunday night. Clemson is on Monday night. I, got, I'm, my thing is I misread where SEC Network was. Ah, yes. So it, Drake may the point. My, my point about Rattler is. South Carolina has a very difficult schedule. Even in the first month, they're going to play Mississippi State, Georgia, Tennessee. Like they've got a very difficult schedule all season long. And and North Carolina is terrible at defense. Terrible defense. Can't stop air. 
Uh, they got a couple good linebackers, but otherwise their two deep is not good. If you cannot score with a new coordinator, some questions on the offensive line, if you cannot score on on North Carolina, you will not score in the SEC this year. And so I think if if they if they do score a lot of points and they lose, okay, fine, he played well, but they still lost a game that you needed to win to show progress. To me, this is about like if they don't score and they can't go up and down the field on North Carolina, it speaks volumes about Rattler, Dow. Dow, by the way, Dow Loggins, you Titans fans, offensive coordinator for the South Carolina Gamecocks. I think all the pressure in this week one is exclusively on his shoulders to play really, really well. I think it's going to be a fun game. Lots of points. Total is like 65. But I think I think the pressure is on is on Rattler. And I I don't know. I think they can win the game. I think Beamer's doing a good job. But I think that's that's the that's the the psychology moment to yeah. watch is is Spencer Rattler. How does he handle that? Having you, a battle, Drake May. He's got the most pressure as a player, but do you think do you think Tennessee or LSU has the most pressure as a team? I think the easy answer is going to be L. You mean for the season or for week one? Just week one. I would say for week one, but like you know, for the season as well. I mean, I kind of feel like I think there's more pressure on LSU for the season because they are have higher expectations. They're preseason picked. Some people pick them to win the division. Some people pick them to beat Georgia. So I think there's more pressure, maybe nationally on LSU. Tennessee expectations are slightly lower. The fan base is a little bit over at skis, I think, on expectations to some degree. But in week one, I I would like, I, I hope that people are just going to enjoy LSU and Florida State for what it is. Like two elite top 10 Southern programs going head to head on week one. And it doesn't, we don't have to make it about the playoff. Like just, right. let's just like, and if they both compete at a high level and they play a good game together, like they did last year where it was close, we don't have to make it about resume building. We can just make it about a great game between two evenly matched teams. To me, that's not a lot of pressure. Like, to me, it's go out there and play your play your ass off and let's see what happens. Tennessee, I think, needs to cover the 28 points. <laughs> like, Virginia's terrible. Joe Milton has to prove that he has grown. They've got to prove that their offensive line with without Darnell Wright and they don't have Cooper Mays in the lineup this week, their starting center. Like, they kind of have to – like, they need to show that they haven't lost a step without all those guys from last year, right? Like, they're, they're going to beat Virginia, and I have them covering the spread. But – I think there's more pressure this week on Tennessee, but that's sort of a that's sort of some galaxy brain there because I I just don't have any pressure for the Florida State LSU game. Like I, I'm just as a fan, I just think we should sit back and enjoy it and not not try to layer narratives on top of it. Just fucking enjoy two great teams playing at a high level, and we'll deal with the playoff at the end of the year. I I don't know. If that, does that make sense? Like yeah, I I think it makes sense. Uh, otherwise. You got Hugh Freeze making a debut. You got Zach Arnett at Mississippi State making a de- debut. Vanderbilt, by the way, Vanderbilt beats Alabama A&M this weekend. They will be 4-1 and one in their last five. They'll be 7-7 seven and seven since the start of last season. 500 football team. And they'll be one of just a handful of undefeated SEC teams. <laughs> and they are spending the most amount of money in the history of the school on F- on football. Like to me, that's the state of the Vanderbilt program that the story you should be paying attention to is they are seven and seven in their last 14 and investing in the future. That is a good place to be. If you're a Vanderbilt fan, you should be excited about that. Um, doesn't mean they're going to go to a bowl game this year, but you should be excited about that. Um, let's see who else you got Car- Carson Beck. You got the Alabama quarterback situation to watch. You got Connor Wigman debuting with Bobby Petrino. Like a lot of these games are going to be blowouts, but, there's a lot. I want to see Kentucky uh, 
like murder somebody, like actually do that in the non-conference. Yeah. Like they kind of play with their food a lot, and I want to see them in the non-conference. Just kind of like the Titans, they play with just, their food a lot. That's exa- well, they're actually Stoops and Vrabel are not all that. Yeah, not all that dissimilar, honestly. Uh, they're a twenty-six point favorite against Ball State. Like, just put your put your foot on someone's neck and show people that you're better than them. Like, they almost one score game to Northern Illinois last year. Like, one score game to UT Chattanooga two years ago. Like, don't don't fuck around with your food. Just 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 dominate this weekend with Devin Leary and and all those all those pieces at Kentucky. So, I just want to see some teams dominate. New offenses, new quarterbacks. What else you got? You got any other questions about the SEC? College no, football? I mean, I, I mean, it's just. A kind of a disappointing week one SEC slate outside of the LSU game and the the North and the South Carolina game. I mean, like Florida Utah is good. Yeah, it's good, but like, how good can it be? Like, it's good on paper, but will it actually be good in practice? Like, I hope you so. know, I hope so. yeah. I mean, I hope so, but it would be the third most most exciting game on this list, and it's like, man, this is kind of like a real shitty. Well, late for week one i feel like this is like the worst week one it's not it's not on paper across the whole country it's yeah. not it's not a great slate that's kind of what i feel like it's like it's not just sec but it's just like it is week right. one is kind of like a letdown this year but boise state washington is good um there's a minnesota nebraska game on thursday night that's worth checking in if you listen to this before thursday night um i i agree that it's not there's one marquee superstar game on, on Sunday, Clemson Duke is actually better than people think. Duke won nine games last year, has an NFL caliber quarterback and Riley Leonard. So keep an eye on that one Monday night. Um, but I, I agree with you. It's not a super star studded week one of, of, of action, but especially compared to last year, last year was fantastic. But in college football, sometimes the weeks that look a little less appealing are sometimes the ones that surprise you the most and give you the most drama. So just, you know, keep an eye. How about this? UT, if you're a Tennessee fan, tune into the UTSA Houston game. Texas San Antonio Houston. This was like three overtimes last year. It's like a one point spread. Frank Harris is one of the best quarterbacks in America. So UTSA versus Houston, really interesting game. Tennessee's going to play UTSA in like three weeks. So make sure you, you see check Houston's that uniforms they're wearing. Uh, they're 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 ridiculous. I don't know. They look pretty good. I liked it. I don't I don't mind them. I like I really like UTSA as a fan. I just like yeah. what they're doing. Um, and then you got South Alabama, South Al, as they say, Cade Womack, rising star down there where you guys were, where you threw up yep. in, in Mobile, uh, South Alabama versus Tulane. Uh, no Tajay Spears, of course, uh, Tulane and South Al. That's a really good group of five games. So a couple of off the radar games there for you to keep an eye on this weekend. There's, it's not just marquee SEC football. There's good stuff everywhere. So, uh, uh I'm excited. real quick before we go, there's a question that, uh mike posed today when we gave our percentages on it and he is of the mindset and we're we're putting percentages on take the field out of it take the veterans out of those aren't the options is the titans question if the um what are the chances that it's Ryan Tannehill is your starting quarterback in 2024 or one (laughs) of Willis or Levis he thinks it's 60-40 in favor of Will Levis and Malik Willis. I'm at 75% in favor of Ryan Tannehill. Oh, that he's that he's back. 75% he's, he's back. back. I mean, I've always assumed this was his last season. So but do you I, think he, that's what is actually 
going to be shown behind the scenes because that's obviously the right now projecting a perfectly healthy Ryan Tannehill for 17 games. Can I can I watch Will Levis for 17 games before I answer? Nope. <laughs> Um, I would be with Mike. I would say I'm I'm actually probably more 70 30. Tannehill's Tannehill's gone. Like I would say the the plan is for Levis to be QB1 and Willis to be QB2 next year. To me that's yeah. that's the plan. Um and if it works out that way, great. If it doesn't and they learn things throughout the course of the year, then that's where like as the year goes along if Levis hasn't shown them what they need, they're going to learn more and more each week each week through install and you know, film study and does he get it? Does he grasp it? Practice, etc. And, and at that point, if it's obvious that they're going to have to bring Tannehill back, I would say do that shit as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, because quarterbacks aren't cheap. No. <laughs> so, so I would say, I would say 70, 30 Willis Levis. Okay. But I find that I interesting. I reserve the right to change that opinion at mm -hmm. any point during the year. It's locked in. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, Toledo, Illinois. I got Illinois laying the nine points. So give me the fighting Illini. Toledo's a very good football team, by the way, in the MAC. So, so there you go. Uh, why let go of Tannehill if he's still the best option, though? Because he could cost thirty million dollars, and you drafted somebody last year to take his spot. So that's a, that's the short answer. We don't have time to get to get into that. Um, but yes, he's the best quarterback on the roster by a, by a country mile. Okay, uh, for Zach, I am Braden. Thank you guys for listening. Of course, Sinkers Beverages, Kingston Group, Stacking the Inbox, Football and Other F-Words, all the other great pods across the network. Uh, just make sure you tune into all those great shows. Keep the Share the YouTube page, please, with somebody as well if you can. Just tell somebody about it. Um, otherwise, have a great Labor Day weekend. Enjoy your Monday off, Big Zach. There you go. Enjoy that. Uh, we'll be oh, back we're not going to do a show Monday? We're not doing a show Monday, man. Oh, it's okay. Labor Day. It's Labor Day. We got beers to drink, man. We got beers to drink. Uh, enjoy that. You guys have a great weekend. Uh, we'll be back next week to recap all of the SEC action and look ahead to week one of the motherfucking NFL season. Thank you guys for hanging out. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.